Well, guys, we've been in a series in the book of James, and we are back there again today. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, we'll be in James chapter 1. Last week, we looked at uh, verses 19, 20, and 21. And we're going to kind of pick up there and, and, and get the feel of what we talked about last week so we can flow in to what we're talking about this week because these two passages fit together. They, they go together as a package deal. And so in James chapter 1, uh, in verse 19, what we looked at last week, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but be doers of the word. So I want you to be hearers, but I also want you to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and he goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. A religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So last week when we looked at those first couple of verses, we, we talked about the need for us to hear from God. And we said it's more than, than just an ear thing, but it's a heart thing, that God is wanting our hearts to be receptive to his word. We want to receive with meekness, with humbleness, this word of God which he is speaking to us. And we talked about the need to come into God's presence and, and just to be still and to be quiet. That how many times we come into God's presence and we just ramble on, we fill up the room with words when sometimes God just wants us to be still, to be quiet, and to listen to what he has to say to us. Uh, so last week we talked about having a receptive heart. This week James turns the page and says, let's talk about having now a responsive heart. He builds upon the hearing. He says, I don't want you to just be a hearer. That's important. And, and if we are to act in, in a way that's going to be in accordance with God's word, then we've got to first hear from the Lord to know his will. But it can't stop there. It's got to progress. That hearing is not an end in itself. For some people, that's the way they do it. Uh, for many people, they are hearers of God's Word. They go to a church every week. They sit and they listen to somebody read the Word of God, somebody to explain the Word of God, and, and they hear. But when they walk out the door, everything stays right where it was. Nothing changes. Nothing's different. Their lives don't look any different because of having heard the Word of God. And James says, that's not where we need to be. He says, the, the person who simply hears and never gets around to doing the Word of God has deceived themselves. We, we live in a society where we, we've detached hearing and, and doing. Uh, and it happens in the church. We hear the message. But then for whatever reason, whether we just get busy or we get distracted or we think that, that that's all God wants of me is just to go to church and check that off my list, we, we detach the, the stuff that we hear from the things that we do, and we don't need to do that. So what James does again today, we said this last week, and, and it's, it's true again today, is that James 
aims straight for the heart. He's not just talking about our hands and what we do, but he's talking about the heart behind the things that we do. He takes aim for our hearts, and he says, I want you to have a receptive heart, but I also want you to have this responsive heart. And when you get those two things right, then the actions and the things that flow will be in alignment with God's will. So he starts off in verse 22, where we're going to begin today, and he says, I want you to be doers of the word. Doers. Does that mean that God just wants us to stay busy? You've heard it said that, a, that an idle, man, idle mind is the devil's workshop. So is it just that God wants us to keep ourselves busy so that we, we don't get off in doing things that are bad? Is, is, is it easy to interpret that as just get busy? And so what we do if we interpret it that way is we begin to just fill our schedules full of stuff. Maybe good stuff. It may not be evil. It may not even be sinful. But, but sometimes we just fill our schedule with stuff. And we, we read this where it says, be a doer of the word. And we go, okay, I've got to get busy. I've got I've to go find something to do, something good to do. And we can even fill our schedule with good things. But James is saying more in this passage. When we go back into the original language, the Greek language that James wrote in, he, he uses a verb tense here that says it's, it's more about becoming a doer. It, it's not what you do, but it's who you are. It's, it's, he says, I want you to, um, to become a doer, not just talking about completing a checklist and saying, okay, I need to go help a little old lady across the street. Check. I need to be nice to my neighbor. Check. I, I need to, to, to do something for my wife. Check. It, it's not just that. It, it's not doing it just to say you did it. It's doing it out of a heart that desires to do it. And so again, he's aiming at our heart here and he's talking about our character. It's not just what we do, but it's who we are. And that's the verb tense that James writes here. He says, I want you to become a doer. I don't want you just to do things. I want you to be a doer. I want, I want that to stir deep within you so that you are a person that is known by the good things that you do. Uh, and, and so he says that God here is trying to remake us into a responder. We hear God's word and, and, and our desire in our heart then is to respond and to do what God's called us to do. It would be kind of like the difference in cooking a meal and something catches on fire on the stove, and you put out the fire. Does that make you a fireman just because you put out a fire on your stove? No. Putting out the fire on your stove is, is what you do. But being a fireman is who you are. It's, it's, it's what you do all the time. And, and what James is trying to say here is, is, is that God's trying to build into us this desire to be continually doing the things that God reveals to us, to continually be working on the things that God has given us to do. And so if I'm honest with you, this is, this is something that I struggle with. I, I read, be a doer, and I go, okay, man, I got to get busy. I got, I got to find something to do. I got to go help somebody. I got to go do something. And I've spent a lot of my Christian life busy doing good things. But what God's showing me lately is that he wants to build that, that character in me that just naturally wants to do what God reveals. I want to sit and I want to listen for what God's got to say to me, and then I want to be busy doing those things that God reveals. Uh, I want to become one who receives the word and then responds to the word. Not just a doer so I can say I've done, but I want it to be a part of who I am and the DNA of who I am. It's, it's the, the, the term here that we are becoming these doers. And the word becoming means that I'm not who I used to be. And yet, I'm not everything that I'm going to be. 
I am a work in progress. And that progress comes as I listen to God's word and I develop a heart that longs to obey him more than anything else. And so he says here that we need to be these doers, but we need to be doers of the word, which means that we've got to be in the word. We've got to be hearing from the Lord. And God speaks to us in a lot of different ways. He speaks to us as we gather for worship. He speaks to us as we pull aside at home and and have a quiet time and listen to God's word and let it take root in our heart. He speaks to us as we are in community with one another. And, and we are doing life together. And, and as we do life together, others will say things and speak things that the Spirit of God will bring to life and, and, and use that to, to bring about a new direction in our heart. Sometimes it's through a question that somebody asks us or it's a statement that they make. And so God can speak to us in a million different ways. But it's, it's that heart that says, Lord, when you speak, I simply want to respond. So we're doers of the Word, doers of what God Reveals. We're not just hearers only. One, one commentary that I read this week said this. It says a lot of Christians treat worship and Bible study almost like a person would treat um, being an auditor in a college class. Did you ever, any of you ever audit any classes in college? Okay, yeah, yeah, oh, the overachiever, you know. People who, who, who audit a class get to sit in the class, take in the information, and have no accountability. You don't take the test. You don't have to write the papers. You're just there to gain the knowledge. And some people treat church that way. They treat worship that way. Well, I'm going to go and see what the preacher has to say today. And if I like it, I may do it. And if I don't, well, I can just move on. But when we treat the Word of God that way, we become hearers only and not doers. We ought to come to the Word of God each day in our quiet time, uh, each week as we gather into worship and say, Lord, I have a heart hungry to do what you require. So if you'll speak, then I will respond. I will obey. And that's what it's all about. That's what faith is. Faith is an obedient response to what God has revealed. So if I want to walk by faith, and anything that I do apart from faith is not pleasing to God, the Bible says. So if I want to walk by faith, and faith is an obedient response to what God's revealed, then I come saying, Lord, if you will speak, I'm making a commitment ahead of time. If you will speak, I will respond in obedience. That's faith. And that's what we're called to do. And so James says here, he says, I'm, I'm calling you to, to be a doer of the word, to, to receive, but also to respond, to, to receive the word with humility, allowing it to take root in my heart, and then responding to the word by producing the fruit that God desires to produce in and through me. So some are, are regularly hearers of the word, either through to church or through their quiet time or through a podcast or a million different ways that we can be exposed to the word of God. But if it never translates into our being, into who we are becoming, then really the word has not accomplished what God has set it out to accomplish. Uh, Those who have hearing without doing, their hearing does not dictate their doing, might be doing a bunch of good things, but may not be doing the very thing that God has placed them here to do. And James says here in verse 22, "If if we are not doers, but we are only hearers, then we have deceived ourselves. We fooled ourselves into thinking that that's really what God's after. You do realize this morning, I hope, that God's not sitting in heaven going, oh, this is great, they went to church. Check, we're all done. God's goal, his end goal, is not to get you in church. 
God's end goal is to transform your life. The reason we gather as a church is to look at the Word of God, let it speak to our hearts so that we then can be different. So if, if it all stops with just listening, then James says we've not accomplished what God desires for us to accomplish, and we've simply deceived ourselves. When our hearing does not impact our doing, then we're fooling ourselves. So James illustrates this point in verses 23 and 24. He says, uh, if, if, you're, if you're this person that just hears but don't, you don't do, this is what you're like. Listen, verse 23. If anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. I told Janet this morning, I said, I, I, I was tempted this week to shave half my face and come to church with just half a beard and see if you noticed well, I got busy shaving and then I got distracted and, and, and I just walked off and, and didn't finish. That's what James says it's like. If you and I go to the Word of God, we hear the Word of God, and then we just walk away. We're like a person who looks at his face in the mirror, sees what needs to be corrected, and then doesn't follow through, does nothing about it. James says that that person is, is not what God desires for him to be. He, he looks intently. He sees what needs to be done. But then for whatever reason, he never gets around to doing it. There's a lot of things that can keep us from doing what God intends for us to do. There's a lot of things that can keep us from, from developing the heart within us that God wants us to to develop. Now, now watch this. God's aiming at the heart. Okay? So, so please follow me in this. If God is aiming at, at, at changing my heart, and I come to Scripture, and Scripture says that I'm to love widows and orphans. Okay? And I go, dang. Those people are so needy. <laughs> I mean, widows, they always, something's always breaking. They always need something. I mean, come on. Orphans, man, those kids have nothing. They just and, and I go, okay, but the Bible says I gotta love love widows and love orphans. Okay, so I'm gonna go and I'm gonna love widows and orphans, but my heart never engages. Have I really done what scriptures call me to do? No. That's why James aims at the heart. Now here's what happens. If my heart says, Lord, I want to do what pleases you, that's what I live for, is just to be pleasing to you. And then I read the scripture that says, okay, if you want a religion that's pure and, and, and faultless and blameless, then, then you need to have a religion that's willing to love widows and love orphans. And I go, you know what, Lord, if that's important to you, that's important to me. All right, I'm going to do that. Now, is that pleasing to God? Yes, because my heart is fully engaged. It's not just about my hands. There's a lot of times that we'll hear something that we need to do, and we will try to go do it without our heart being engaged. And at that point, we've missed what God's trying to do. God is not just trying to engage my hands. He's trying to engage my heart. He's trying to capture my heart. And so he calls us to, to be able to, to do that. Uh, there's a lot of folks that are, that, are doers, uh, that are doers, but they're doing their own thing. They're not doing God's thing. Or they're doing God's thing without their heart being engaged. And so he says here, he says, I, I want to illustrate this. It's, it's like a guy looking in a mirror. He sees what needs to take place in his heart, but he stops short. He doesn't let that happen. He walks away, forgets what he saw. Maybe it's just pride. He looks in the mirror. Remember the old, the old movie Happy Days when we were kids? I don't know if that even they totally reruns. Fonzie would go to the mirror, pull out his comb, and go, ah. 
Remember that? I think that's what some believers do. They go to the mirror of God's word and they look in God's word and they go, oh, good enough. I mean, how can you improve upon this, right? So pride can be an issue that keeps us from putting it into, into practice. Sometimes it's just an unengaged heart or a distracted heart. You ever had somebody talking to you? And you're, it's just not even registering, but you're going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Somebody calls on the phone, and, and, and you're going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you hang up, and just like, what do they say? You go, I don't have a clue. And I really don't care. I mean, it was just like, I just, they had to get their words out, and I let them. It's an unengaged or, or un, uninterested heart. And sometimes that's the way we come to God's Word. We go, okay, i got to read my Bible today. I mean, that's what Christians do, right? We read our Bible. So here we go. I, I need to cover a whole chapter today. That's my goal, a chapter today. So here we go. All right, got it. And you rush out the door and you go about the things that you want to go about. Is God pleased in that? If my heart's not engaged, if my heart's not been touched, if I've just covered another chapter in the Bible, is that what God's really after? Is, is God just after me to be able to complete the Bible in a year? Hey, I, I love it when we have Bible reading plans. I love it when we, when we try to make our way through Scripture. But you know what? Sometimes it's just one verse that God wants you to read. And that one verse, God wants to capture your heart and say, this is what we're here for today. Oh, hang on, God, stop. I've got to cover a whole chapter. I've got to get through this reading plan. I've got to make it through in a year. That's my goal. And God's going, the goal is not to make it through the Bible in a year. The goal is to hear from God when you pick up the Word of God so that you can respond to God. And your life can be pleasing to him. So it could be pride. It could be this unengaged heart where someone speaks and, and, and you're just not interested. James says it's a waste of time in our human relationship to live that way. It's even worse in our spiritual relationship with God. How arrogant it would be and how foolish it would be for God to speak to me. And for my mind to say, you know what, there's something else that's more important for me to be thinking about right now. Does your mind wander the way my mind wanders? God's really begun to convict me about that. I'll be reading the Bible, and I'll, I'll just be thinking about all the things I want to get done that day. And this week, it's like God said to me, Rob, is there something more important to you than what I'm saying right now? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> now that you put it that way, No. All right, then why are you letting all that cloud your mind when right now I'm trying to speak to you? I've begun to watch kind of how I respond to God, and you may be completely different, but I just got to be kind of transparent this morning. I've noticed a lot of times in my quiet time in the mornings when I first get up that I wake up with this desire to be with God. I wake up with this desire to, to hear from God, to want to know what God's got to say. And it seems like, for me, maybe not for you, the minute things just really get cooking, God just really begins to start showing me stuff in Scripture. That's when Satan shows up and reminds me of the 45 things I ought to be doing that day that I have in my mind that I need to get done that day. And many times, if I'm honest, I'll rush out of that time with God to get started on those things that I think are important. And God's begun to convict me and say, is there something more important and what I'm saying to you right now. Is that project really more important than what I'm trying to say to you right now? 
And there's been times this week where I've, I've been there and I've been studying, and I think about the thing, and I'll jump up out of my chair and I'll take a few steps to go and think, what am I doing? What am I doing? Sit back down, let God finish what he wants to say. You may not have that problem. Maybe, maybe you're a lot more disciplined than I am, but that's, that's where I live. And that's the struggle that I find myself in. And James is like, it's not just about getting through a passage. It's not just about making it through this, this checklist. It's about, it's about hearing the heart of God and letting it change my heart to look a lot more like his heart. So it's bad if it happens in a human relationship. It's even worse in this relationship with God. And so James says that this person, he looks, and then he goes away, and he forgets. You go, why does that happen? Maybe that happens to you. It happens to me. Why does that happen? And I think the the main reason is that our hearts are not fully engaged. When something captures our heart, we remember it. Think about this. For those of you that are married, do you remember the day that he proposed men do you remember that moment that you proposed and asked your wife to marry you yeah i remember that you know why you remember it because your heart was engaged you remember that wedding day men when you were standing at the front of the church or wherever it was that you were and she first walked in i remember that moment when janet appeared in the back It had been raining, the sun just came out, and it was like this glow above her. I remember that. And I remember how slow her grandfather walked when he brought her down. I'm like, hurry up, Woodrow, hurry up, come on, get her down here. I remember everything about that moment. You know why? Because my heart was fully engaged. I remember being at the hospital when Janet gave birth to our three kids. And seeing that baby for the very first time. And holding that baby for the very first time. Because you know what? My heart was captured in that moment. We remember those moments when our hearts are engaged. And when we come to God's word and we engage our hearts, we remember what God is saying. But when we come to God's word and our hearts are not engaged and our minds are a million miles away, We walk away unchanged, forgetting what it is that God had to say to us. God wants to capture our hearts. James is aiming straight at our hearts. And he says to us, let me show you what's important. Not just being busy for busy's sake. But being busy about the thing that really matters, which is your character. And then out of that character flows this behavior that brings glory to God. It's saying to God, God, if this is important for you to say to me, then it's important for me to listen. And it's even more important, Lord, that I let it work itself through my DNA so that I respond different in this world. If it's important to God, it's got to be important to us because we belong to him. The Bible says that that we are not our own, that we've been bought with a price. Therefore, we are to glorify God with our bodies. If it's important to him, shouldn't it be important to us? It will be if we love him the way that we're supposed to love him. 
when Janet and I were dating, I knew, uh, I mean, I knew from the first date that she was the one for me. I just, I just had to convince her that I was the one for her, you see. But I knew very early that, that she was it. And I can remember us sitting on the couch in her mom's house and beginning to talk about our future together and talk about where we wanted to go and, and, and kind of what we dreamed of as a married couple. And I remember saying to her, I'm ready to get married. I am, I'm ready. She was just starting college, and I knew she was the one. And I'm like, let's get married. You're it. I don't, I, there's no need to look any farther. There's no need. And, and I remember Janet saying this to me. She said, it's important to me that I finish school first before I get married. And I'm like, no, no, no. You can finish school, but let's get married. I am ready to be married. And she said, it's important to me that I finish school first. My mind still said, let's get married. But my heart said, if it's important to her and I love her, then it's got to be important to me. When we're in this relationship with God and God speaks and says, this is important to me. You may say, but God, I got, I got other plans. I, I got other ideas. And God says again, this is important to me. If I love him, then what's important to him becomes important to me. And that's the way that God calls us to live our lives, is to say, let's listen and then let's respond. Love drives the choice. It's not duty. It's not all that. It's love that drives that, that choice. And so in our relationship with God, we've got our ideas, and then God speaks. We hear God speak, and out of love, we respond to what he's revealed. We defer to his will. How foolish it would be for God to speak and for me to say, God, what I think is more important than what you think. What, what if our time with God became the most important part of our day? What, what if our time was allowed to, to, to that, that time together would allow to shape us and who we are and who we are becoming? James says that as true believers, that will take place. Now remember, what James is doing here is issuing his believers, his followers, his listeners, his readers. He's offering them some tests that will prove the authenticity of their faith. He's done that from the beginning of this, of this deal. James is writing to them that they might have concrete proof that they truly are believers in Christ. Not just those who profess to be believers, but that they really are believers. And, 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 and two of the tests we talked about is this, this test of, is my heart receptive to God's word? Because if he indwells me, then my heart's going to be receptive to his word. But also, not is it just receptive, but is my heart responsive? And so these are two tests to look and go, do I have the heart of a disciple? If this is what a disciple is, does that reflect me? So he holds up the mirror of God's word. And James says that, that, that the, the mirror, the, the word of God is like a mirror that we look into. And when we look into the mirror of God's word, we see two things, not just one. We see two images, not just one. When you look in the mirror at home, you see one image, okay? When I look in the mirror at home, I see two chins, okay? But one image, all right? When we look in the mirror, we see two images. Here's the first, the image of the perfection of Christ, and then overlaid over that image of Christ is the image of me. And I can see where I fall short. 
So he, he lays this image of Christ. He holds it up and says, this is what I'm wanting you to be. And this is what you are right now. Let's bring this in line so that you become more like Jesus. And that's what he's doing. He's showing us the image of Christ and perfection and what God expects. He's showing us where we are. And then he's working in us to be able to bring those two things together to where they look like one. That's what James is after. That's what the scripture's after. And so when he shows us the heart of a true disciple and we look at where we are, we go, man, there's, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done here. There's still a lot of things that God needs to do to bring me to where I need to be. And so he says, you look intently and you get all that you can, but, but you don't just walk away unchanged. The heart of a true disciple looks in that mirror and sees, but then he also does. Look what it says here in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that means the law that sets us free and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's, it's the guy that looks in the mirror, sees the imperfect, sees the perfect of Christ, the imperfection of himself, and begins to, to, to let God do this work of bringing him in line. That's the believer. That's what we're after. He's not taking us into the Word of God, showing us our imperfections so that we get down and we feel guilty and we just feel overwhelmed. That's not what he's doing. He's trying to say, this is what I want to make you. This is what you are. Let's bring those things in line. And it actually provides me hope. Because he that began the good work will see it through. And so I look at this and I say, Lord, this is what you're trying to make me. And this is where I'm at, way over here. And I know that what you're doing over time is you're bringing me closer and closer and closer. So I have hope. I know where you're wanting to take me. And I know where I am. And the hope is this, that you're not going to stop until you get me there. It provides us hope. So we look into the Word of God, not for a guilt trip, but for a guide to where God's wanting to take us. The response has got to flow from a heart that's willing and able to receive God's word and then to respond to God's word. Remember the story Jesus told about the the farmer who went out and scattered seed and there was four different types of soil? He threw some and it went on the path and it was this hard packed down soil and, and the birds came and stole the seed before it could take root. And in the second type of soil was the soil that was, was shallow. It was on a bedrock, had a rock with a little bit of topsoil on top of it. And the seed fell in that, in that loose soil. And man, it sprouted the, the warmth of that rock, heated it up, and it began to grow. And then the heat came and it just wilted away. And, and the third soil was the soil that was a little bit deeper and, and it, the seed could take root and it began to grow. And then all the weeds around it began to take over and began to choke out the plant until the plant died. And the fourth type of soil was this fertile soil that the seed fell in and it took root and it grew and it produced a crop, you know, 30, 60, 100 fold, the Bible says. Four types of soil. And, and it was the same type of seed. The, the, the difference in the response wasn't the seed. The difference in the response was the soil. And, and, and the message behind that is that God's word is the seed, Jesus said. But there's different kinds of hearts that the seed falls on. And we look at those different types of hearts and we go, okay, which one's he after? Well, let me ask you that. If you're a farmer and you're going to cast some seed and you're hoping to produce a crop, are you satisfied with that that falls on the hard soil and never ever gets rooted? No. Okay. Are you satisfied with, with the seed that falls and immediately springs up and it's so excited and this is great and it's the new thing and then the next day it's just deader than a doornail? Are you happy with that? 
All right, what about this? You're the farmer that casts the seed in, in, a, in an area, and it begins to grow and grow and grow, and all of a sudden other stuff begins to kind of choke it out, and it eventually just dies. Are you pleased with that seed, with that result? No. There's only one of those four that a farmer would be pleased with. There's only one of those four that the father's going to be pleased with, and that is the, the, the soil that the seed falls in and grows. It's not enough. It's not enough, guys, for us just to come to, to, to church, the seed fall, and we walk out, and it's snatched away. It's not enough. It's not enough for us to come to church, hear a message from God's Word, and go, oh, that's really what I need, that's what I want, that's what I'm going to do. Okay, I'm, I'm going forward, and I'm just going to say to the world, I'm, I'm changing. And then two weeks later, I'm right back where I was. That's not what God's after. Neither is God after the person who's a little more sincere, and, and the stuff begins to grow, but then it's not long before those old friends show up, those old habits, the, that, that busyness at work, the, the, all the other things that can just begin to choke the life out of the relationship with God. That's not what God's after either. Only one of the four produces what the farmer was after. And so in our lives, sometimes our hearts, if we're honest, they get hard. And the Word of God just bounces off. There's other times that we get really excited when God shows us something, but we never get around to doing it. There's other times that our lives are just way too cluttered. Maybe with good things, but cluttered nonetheless. And it chokes out the life that God intends for us. So what kind of heart do you have? What do you see when you look deep within you? You see a heart that's hard? And you come to church and the word just bounces off, but you leave no different than you came. Are you more the emotional type? You get here and you get excited and you say, this is what I want, this is it, I'm going to do it. And by next Sunday, you've forgotten what you even promised that you wanted to do. Or maybe you last a little bit longer. But you never really produce the fruit. There's a stem and there's a flower, but there's never any fruit. The thing about that story that, that, that just captures my mind is that when the seed first goes out, we're not real sure what it's going to produce long term. It's not until the end when the harvest comes that we really can determine which one's going to produce and which one's not. Three of the four start off looking really good. In fact, the one that starts off looking the best ends up being of no value. So we can't always look at it by what happens in the instant as much as what's going to happen through the process. And James says here, this one who looks into the perfect law and, and sees this law of liberty and what? And perseveres. Hangs on through the process and produces the fruit. That's the one. That's the one that will be blessed in what he does. It's a process, guys, that, that, that doesn't just start well, but it, it, it progresses well, and it produces that fruit. I think the real issue that James is driving at here when he looks at the heart is, is not the issue of profession, what I profess, but it's more of an issue, if we could say, of possession, not what I profess, but what I possess. 
Does his life really reside in me? And it may be more of an issue of possession in the sense of, do I belong to him? Does he possess me? It's the issue of who possesses my heart. There's many people throughout the course of history who've walked a church aisle, made a profession of faith, and never, ever, ever shown one bit of fruit. Is that what God's after? See, it's an issue of possession. Does God really possess my heart? If, if I'm going to possess my heart, then I'm going to be busy, but I'm going to be busy doing my own thing. But if God possesses my heart, then I will become a doer of God's word. So profession, absent possession... James says is just deception. Let me say that again. A profession of faith without being possessed by God just leads to deception of myself. If I walk the aisle, shake the preacher's hand, get baptized, join the church, but never give God possession of my heart, I've just deceived myself. I may do some good things, but my heart's still not where it needs to be with God. So this possession that we're talking about is when I give myself total control of myself to the Lord. When I'm moved by God's grace to give my heart completely to him. He has given full ownership of all of my life. My life is no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. And my goal now in life is to glorify him through all that I say and all that I do. So only then does this profession mean anything. The Bible says many will profess Jesus is Lord. But it's only those who do the will of the Father that are really his. So our, our response is the proof of ownership. How we live our lives each day. Who, who has the, the title to our lives uh, we can't even change our own hearts. God's got to be able to do that for us. And he begins this process of transforming our hearts as we surrender ourselves to him. So as we humbly accept the word of God that's implanted in us, James says, that's able to change our hearts, save our souls, then we can become doers of the word of God. And James winds up this passage today where we'll end it with this section in verses 26 and 27 about a religion that is worthwhile versus a religion that is worthless. If anyone thinks that he's religious and he does not bridle his tongue, verse 26, he deceives his heart. And this person's religion is worthless. But religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father, in other words, a religion that God desires, is this, is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You've got to bridle our tongues. What's he saying? Man, it's that, that issue we talked about last week of pride. We've got to be able to restrain our, our, our tongues. We're, he says, if you can't bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. In other words, you're no longer promoting yourself. You're promoting God. You're no longer living for yourself, but you're living for the Lord. And we've got to bridle our tongue. The thing that we talk about is not ourself. We begin to talk about the grace of God. 
And that grace reminds me that this is not something I deserve. It's not something I can earn. It's not something I can ever repay. But it's given to me. The chief of all sinners, Paul would say. The one who deserved it the least. And were it not for God's grace toward me, I would still be dead in my sin. He says the person who doesn't understand that can't bridle their tongue, can't, 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 can't control talking about themselves. Their religion is worthless. But religion that God's after, it's pure and undefiled, is two parts. To visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Two parts. Number one, visit orphans and widows in their distress. What's he saying? The widows and the orphans of that day were the most vulnerable, the most needy of society. There was no social security. There was no retirement plan. When your husband died or your dad died, it all fell on you. And, and, and the widows and the orphans of that day were the most vulnerable, but they were also the least able to ever be able to repay you. So you didn't go help the widows and the orphans because you thought, okay, one day they're going to be able to pay me back. It wasn't a loan, it was grace. And and here's what James is saying. When grace captures our heart, we're going to want to be graceful toward others. Once we understand how much grace God poured out upon us, then we're going to seek ways to pour that grace out on other undeserving needy people around us. I don't know the right way to say that, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. We, we, we don't look and say, well, I want to go share the gospel with that really good guy <laughs> who, who, you know, be easy to talk to. I, I want to talk about the gospel just with other believers who will amen me, brother, and, and pat me on the back. But I want to take the gospel to people who are lost the way I was lost. People who were just as needy spiritually as I was needy before Jesus found me. I want to share what I've found in Christ with those who don't deserve it any more than I deserved it. Grace changes who we are and it changes how we respond to other people. And so when we come to those that are widows and orphans, he's, he's paralleling, if you will, to how we were when God found us. Remember when Jesus looked out over the crowd? Remember what Jesus said about the crowd? That they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus took the gospel to them. Somebody who has been gripped by God's grace then has their heart transformed to the point that they don't have to be forced to go tell somebody about Jesus. It's one beggar who's found bread telling another beggar where he found it. There's this thing that God does in us with his grace that changes how we interact with other people around us. The child of God just gives away the grace of God. Because he knows it's the grace of God that changed him. And it's the only hope that that other person has as well. He extends it to others, what's been given to him, not to promote himself. Not so that one day he can be repaid, but because his heart is becoming, it's being transformed to be more and more like God's heart. Grace received becomes grace given away. 
So we respond to the needs of the most vulnerable, the most at risk. And we demonstrate through doing that that we understand how much grace we've needed. And we offer that same grace to them. Just as God freely gave it to us, we are willing to give it to others because our new heart and our new desire is to reflect Him in the way we interact with others. It's no longer just something that I do, but it is now who I am. It's a part of my DNA. The second part is to keep oneself, he says, unspotted. To keep oneself unspotted and unstained from the world. In other words, we don't let sin remain. We will still stumble and we will still fall and we will still make mistakes. But when we do, we step up, we, we, we confess that sin, we repent and we turn our hearts back to the Lord. And he says if we are faithful, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all the unrighteousness. So we keep this account with God short. As we stumble and we fall, we mess up, we fess up, and we, we grow with that. And we, we've given him full ownership of our heart and we want our lives to reflect him. So James says the the word of God is a mirror. God holds it up so we can see Jesus and we can see ourselves. And and we allow God the the, the privilege of of reshaping us by his grace. And as his grace takes root in us, we give that grace away to other people. And we find in Jesus and in him alone everything that our hearts long for and everything that we could ever hope for is found in him. But that starts by you and I giving ownership of our lives to Jesus. Not just saying some magical prayer. Not just getting baptized again or again. But it comes by a full surrender of ourselves to Christ that allows him to move in and begin this transformation process. So as we wrap it up today, I wonder if what you have is a profession Or if it's really possession. If your profession of faith never translated into a change in your heart. Change of your desires. Then maybe what you have is a profession that's never become possession. Maybe today you need to say, Lord, I just need you to possess me. I desire for you to take control of this life. And I desire for you to be glorified in anything and everything that I do. Because I want my life to come in line with you. Our profession of faith means very little until there's been this change of possession. Until this change of ownership has taken place. So let me ask you as we close, is there this deep desire and this hunger inside of you and this thirst inside of you for the righteousness of God? Or do you just come, listen to the word, check that off your to-do list, and then go back home unchanged? James says, if that's the way it is, you come, you listen, and you leave unchanged, then you've deceived yourself. The truth is not in you. What James wants for us and what he calls us to today is a heart that says, I am fully surrendered. Have your way in me. 
Change my heart so that I desire the things that you desire. And teach me, Lord, to, to live possessed by you so that then my profession matches my possession and the world can see Christ living in me. I want us to bow together and pray. If you look at your life and you really don't see any fruit of what you professed, that can begin to change today. You can say to God, you know what, Lord, I've, I've been religious, but according to James, that religion is worthless because it hasn't translated into a changed heart, into a changed life. The best thing you could do today would be to say to the Lord, I want, I want everything to change. I want to belong to you, and I want you to possess me inside and out. As we pray together, that process can begin with a prayer. It doesn't end with a prayer, but it can begin with a prayer. Where you open up your heart, you admit to God that you need him, that you want him, that you're lost without him. And right now, even as we go into this time of prayer, you can talk to God. He's listening to your heart right now. And you can surrender everything to him and ask him to take possession of your heart and your life. And to begin this process of transforming you.